Action. <laughs> you know how this goes. <laughs> uh, it takes me a minute. <clears throat> okay. I got to get it out. It takes me a second. That's cool. I get it, man. All right. I'm not a camera guy myself. I don't start warming up until about 10 minutes into the interview. Okay. That's yeah. when it starts getting pretty, like we start getting yeah. some good content. Yeah, when I forget that I'm on camera. Yeah. All right. Well, good deal. Well, we're going to go ahead and get started then. Welcome to the Secure Podcast. I'm Mike Matranga coming to you from the ASAP Security Studios here in Houston, Texas. Today we have Marshall Kaplan with us. Uh, Marshall is recently retired from the K-12 industry as a uh, assistant principal and administrator at Humble ISD and um, who oversaw the safety and security of his campus and he is now currently a senior security consultant for M6 Global Defense. How are you doing? Doing awesome. Good. Thank you. Good, good. Happy to have you. Thanks for being here with us. Um, so you just retired from the K-12 space. How's that feel? Feels awesome. Feels great. <laughs> Care to elaborate why? Yeah, um, I was in the industry for 29 years. I was mm -hmm. an administrator for 16, mm -hmm. and I was always over safety and security. Um, when I first started education, my passion was curriculum. Okay. Uh, but then as I got to be more familiar with the space, I realized that I had more of a passion in operations, which then evolved into safety and security, and that's where my expertise grew. Right. So I thought, you know what, I really need to focus on, on what really you know, just jazzes me up. Right. And I got away from the big picture of education and now I'm focusing on safety and security of education. Gotcha. So 16 years you kind of oversaw the, or you did oversee the security of, mm. was it Humble ISD in general or, or your no. particular campus? Um, I've been in, I was in Sci-Fair for five years. Okay. I was in Conroe for a few years. Okay. I was only in Humble the last three years. So for 16 years you've kind of seen this evolution of school security and unfortunately, due to tragic events, not only in the state of Texas, but over the United yeah. States. Um, what would you say, um, or let me ask you this, over the last 16 years, do you feel like we've accomplished a whole lot? And, mm. uh, you know, the goods, the bads, the ugly, uh, what are your thoughts on that over the last 16 years? I feel like we're chasing our tail. I don't think we've really nailed it yet. Um, we've been reactive to each scenario, uh -huh. but different things keep happening. Right. So I think we need a more proactive approach, a more holistic approach to try to prevent these things from happening in the first place. Do you feel like, not only in the state of Texas, but just in general, there needs to be some type of standardization? You know, if you go to uh, multiple different states, they have, you know, let's say, in Texas, we have the Texas School Safety Center, other um, states have you know, resource centers as well. Um, and then you have, you know, Pass K-12, which, you know, we, we absolutely love Pass K-12, but, you know, everybody seems to have a best practice. Mm -hmm. um, and they're not always the same. They're not always consistent. Um, how do you feel about there being some type of basic standardization and requirement throughout the United States? Do you think that that would be beneficial? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it's yeah. not just in safety, it's all of education. If you look at curriculums, going back to that again, um, not only is it inconsistent from state to state and district to district, it's even inconsistent from school to school. Uh -huh. We don't even see a 
standardized practice of safety within the same school district. How do you feel like, or do you feel like parents are aware of the inconsistencies? No, no. Yeah. I always say that too, you know, being a former administrator, Secret Service, then administrator in the K-12 space, and then jumping over into the school board arena as a school board member, um, I've always said that the power truly lies in the parents. If the parents were aware of the inconsistencies and of, you know, how schools are just essentially chasing their tail, um, whether it be in curriculum or whether it be in, you know, security or HR practices or whatnot, I think parents would be extremely upset. Yeah. And so how do we get, not just from the K-12 security space, but how do we get parents more engaged? Um, wow, that's a huge question. It's I mean, at all levels. For, yeah. Uh, for number one, to be more vulnerable with them, more authentic with them, to let them know what's really going on, um, instead of just trying to please parents with telling them what they want to hear, right? But to actually let them know what the troubles are, what the challenges are. Yeah. You know, I agree with you. Um, I've always said, you know, let's let's not hold anything back. Let's be open. Let's be honest. Let's tell them the truth and then let's work on a solution together. But one of the things that, that I have seen in my time uh, is that schools operate essentially like a business, right? Your business is your brand or your brand is your business and your reputation decides your success. And I have not been surprised at all to see that a lot of the things that we've discovered through testimony with non-compliance of security mandates or you know you can list it all out a lot of that stuff is not shared publicly and that's mm -hmm. by design because it affects the brand right you know I've always said that schools need to be held to a higher standard just like law enforcement is in regards to keeping people safe uh, we saw last year after the Uvalde shooting uh, myself, Director McGraw from the Texas Department of Public Safety, TEA Commissioner Mike Morath, and the uh, Director of uh, the Texas School Safety Center, Kathy Martinez-Prather, uh, or Dr. Kathy Martinez-Prather, um, testified and it was determined that, you know, three years after the law had been passed in 2019, where schools were required to do an audit, you know, less than 10%, really less than 8% were compliant wow. with the state. This was discovered after 21 more additional bodies had perished or individuals and innocent souls had perished. And we're now 14, 15 months in and there really has not been much movement on compliance and no one seems to care. We've had off the record conversations with individuals that are in high positions that oversee this stuff that have told us flat out we don't want to see the data because if we've missed something and we don't report it, then we're, we're negligent. We're mm -hmm. held liable. That's complete trash. Mm -hmm. And I wish that the parents knew that. Yeah. You know, yeah. and so what are your thoughts on the, how do we successfully engage those parents? I mean, I know I just asked you that same question, but is it a, is it a matter of information not being shared on purpose or is it, um, 
there's not a, a direct means to report these these things to these parents or to engage these parents there has to be some type mm -hmm. of break here right we've got to get some type of breather where people are starting to engage their school boards and their administrators how do we do that well you just said yourself that they're afraid that they don't want the data to get out because then we'll be negligent mm -hmm. parents have to be provided the data um, Eight, I'm, I'm just blown away to hear that only 8% of the districts in the state were compliant. Mm -hmm. and they have a three-year window to get those audits right. done. Um, but if there's not going to be any accountability, then they're not going to do it. Yeah. And so that, that information needs to be sent out to parents. Um, that I'm, I'm sitting here thinking if we make it a requirement of the district to share this with your parents, they're obviously not going to do it because they're not held accountable anyway. Mm -hmm. So it has to come from higher up. The same people who are saying, you have to make sure you get these audits done, also have to be saying to the communities, to the school district's parents, this is what your school district did or didn't right. do. Right. Yeah. Well, that's actually supposed to happen. So yeah. in Senate Bill 11, the bill that we're discussing that requires the audits, um, if a school is not compliant with their audit process, they're supposed to have X amount of time to rectify that, or at least report it, mm -hmm. and then, you know, get that somewhat, um, you know, uh, accountable, right? A accounted for, um, and then if not, then they're supposed to have a public meeting. School board is supposed to have a public meeting yeah. to answer why they didn't, yeah. and then if they still are not compliant and they still have not done what they need to do, then that's when. The governing body or regulatory agency which is texas education agency is supposed to step in and and they can remove that school board and that superintendent but you know we just talked about last last year it was discovered in that testimony that uh, i want to say it was roughly 190 200 uh, districts out of almost 1200 um, actually submitted their their reports during that three three year cycle or mm -hmm. audits and uh, let me ask you a question how many of those uh, roughly 1,900 do you think were reprimanded by TEA? Zero. One. 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 Yeah. The general public does not know this. Parents yeah. do not know this, yeah. right? But they should. And I think that's the bigger issue. So let's switch gears just a little bit. One of the things that I always talk about uh, when I testify or when I talk to parents or present or whatnot is that you know, we look at law enforcement response or, or whether it be educators or politicians, uh, they seem to lean heavily on the law enforcement response. You go to any security conference or educational conference, it's always an officer in there talking about, mm -hmm. you, know, you know, standard response protocol, reunification, um, law enforcement response, tactical training, all this stuff, right? Um, and I've always said that though we, we need law enforcement on our campuses. The problem is, is that never has law enforcement, let me backtrack, edit that. <laughs> let me backtrack, I don't like to say never. Please edit that out. So what I'll say is, is that very few times has law enforcement response ever made a difference. Mm -hmm. You know, we always talk about needing to establish command and the, you know, the incident command structure, uh, then the, you know, standard response protocol, I love you guys, reunification. No school has ever really deployed that. There's always a plan there, 
but it's never been successfully done because the incident happened so fast. You're looking right. at between a minute to 12 minutes, or in Uvalde's case, 77 minutes, and command was still never established. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about emergency operations plans. How effective are they? They're not used. It's, it's a book that most people don't look at. Right. Um, we need emergency action plans, okay. not emergency operation plans. Right. And emergency action plans being specific to that particular campus, exactly. those particular administrators, understanding their climate, their culture, um, you know, their uh, facility from a structural perspective, from a which terrain is, perspective. Which is why you need an expert um, um, agency to come in and tailor fit what each campus needs. Right technologically, um, um, whatever it is, instead of an un, uh, a biased internal um, group of people from right. the school district who are going and doing a cookie cutter for every campus in our district. If you, it doesn't work that way. If you grade your own paper, how many times are you gonna fail? Yeah, exactly. Right? Right. Um, you know, as a, as a former school board member myself, you know, I always promoted us having a third party audit uh, though the state allows school districts to conduct their own audit, when we help or when I helped Senator Larry Taylor write that bill, the initial bill stated that it had to be a third party because not having a third party just opens up the district to liability. It opens up the district to uh, potential claims of uh, conflicts of interest um, mm -hmm. or you know hiding things, sweeping things under the rug. And uh, I never wanted to be accused of any of that. And so we always promoted a third party. I know there's a lot of districts that, that don't. They do their own. Um, I would say that they're increasing their liability by doing their own. And but how I also qualified are they to do it in the first place? Right. How qualified yeah. are they? I mean, they took a class, uh, yeah. took a couple yeah. online classes. Yeah. Um, you know, with our team at M6 Global, with you joining here, you know, we've got 500 plus years of experience at the highest level, um, and we believe in a holistic team. We believe in a very diversified team. Mm -hmm. You know, we've got security professionals. We have former educators like yourself. We have former administrative educators, uh, superintendents, psychologists, counselors, behavioral threat assessment uh, individuals. Mm -hmm. So when we do a complete analysis or an audit of your, your campus or your district, we're looking at it from multiple different angles, not just you know, your, your critical infrastructure, your, your physical infrastructure, uh, it goes well beyond that. And so, um, real quick, one of the things that I always talk about as well is, and people seem to be puzzled, and uh, let's say at Humble ISD, what, what student database did y'all use? Skyward? Edgeforia. Edgeforia. Okay. In Edgeforia, you have all your discipline data, correct? Right. Okay. In that discipline data, you have a plethora of information at your disposal to determine, you know, who is more likely to harm themselves or someone else, correct? Right. Why do you think it is that we have all of this data, whether it be Skyward or Edgeforia or X, Y, and Z student database, why do you think it is that we're not taking that data breaking that down, analyzing that, and then determining, you know, who needs to be 
seen by a medical professional or a mental health counselor mm -hmm. in order to prevent them from hurting themselves or, or someone else because you know what we see in the school security space is everyone wants to talk about active shootings mm -hmm. because it feels good because it gets the media's attention but no one wants to talk about the reality and the reality is is that we are more likely to have a kid who wants to commit suicide mm -hmm. or a kid who's showing those precursors to suicide by cutting themselves or you know some type of uh, self-mutilation um, why are we not focusing on that I mean everything that we need to know about the next kid who wants to hurt themselves or someone else we have that data yeah why do you think that is multiple reasons um, resources time mm -hmm. and staff um, accountability or versus negligence um, if you really started digging and identifying everybody that you needed to identify it would be more than we are qualified to handle. And then even if, you, if it was a smaller amount and you identify the kids that need the behavioral threat assessments, um, the trainings that are provided for school districts to do the behavioral, behavioral threat assessments are just surface level. Yep. So they're not able to really say, this is what's wrong with this kid and this is the um, intervention plan uh -huh. that we need to put in place for him. There might be an at-risk counselor on your campus who is slightly more qualified than a student counselor uh -huh. to help with an intervention plan, but most campuses don't have that. Right. And the most counselors aren't expertise, don't have enough expertise to do it. Right. Uh, most school counselors, and my hats go off to them and my heart goes out to them, they're inundated with scheduling uh -huh. and not able to focus on the kids that actually need counseling. So with that said, um, and we'll start wrapping up here pretty soon. <clears throat> with that said, in the 88th legislation, Governor Abbott mandated that every school to include elementary campuses in the state of Texas, mm -hmm. starting September 1st, should have an armed law enforcement officer mm -hmm. or an armed licensed security officer on campus. Yeah. What do you say to that um, from a funding perspective, from a, a manpower perspective, from a um, proactive and, and preventative perspective? Uh, do you think that the governor and the 88th legislation's priorities were, were out of line? I think so. Um, it could be a deterrent in an upper, you know, middle school and high school, um, but I'm just learning about the fact that there's a requirement for an SRO to be on an elementary school. Uh -huh. I'd much rather see you take that money and instead of being reactive, actually be proactive, and that's not with an armed officer, but put that money into an at-risk counselor. All right. You can do I, threat assessment. I'll absolutely say it. I think that the decision was politically motivated. Mm -hmm. um, you know, campaign season rolls around. It gives the governor the ability to say, hey, we put an armed officer on every campus, when in reality you didn't uh, because you didn't fund the schools properly. Mm -hmm. um, and now you're putting the onus on the schools and the taxpayers to be able to pay for that uh, at, the, at the expense of your political agenda. Mm -hmm. um, it, fr it frustrates me. It frustrates yeah. me that myself and multiple other subject matter experts and individuals much smarter than I um, from a behavioral 
health perspective have said the key to stopping this is preventive. It's not reactive, right? Um, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't have officers on campus, but they should not be priority number one. That's right. They should absolutely not be priority number one. Culture and climate, empowering the staff that's there, training them to a certain standard, having a full-scale behavioral threat assessment uh, process and then a management plan to build out those IEPs for those kids, something that's analyzing that data on a daily basis, um, removing race so that no one could ever say that you're profiling a child, that you're simply looking for behavior. Um, you know, all of those things would be my priority. And then, you know, yes, let's put somebody there with a weapon to protect the kids. You know, let's put a, let's put a sheepdog there. Uh, but even then, there is some hurdles uh, that we're seeing in the law enforcement or in the school-based law enforcement space where, you know, law enforcement officers are there to enforce the law. School educators need, their, need them there to improve culture and climate uh, and also help with administrative tasks and duties related to school security. But then you have this argument that, you know, Law enforcement officers are working outside of their scope of employment, and so it's a, it's a very delicate balance. And so, um, I was happy to hear you say that it, you know it wasn't that you thought that the priorities were no. were not right. You know, and at the end of the day, as we said earlier, to share information with the community. Right. If the community saw that the school district is actually putting an emphasis on a proactive approach to safety and security, that would actually gain loyalty and trust from the community. Uh -huh. um, I think the, the districts are just so scared of what they might think and say if they found out. Right. When in actuality, I know as a parent and a community member, yeah, I would have much more trust in my administration yeah. in my school district. One of the other issues that no one wants to talk about, it's just like teacher shortages. Mm -hmm. there's, there's such a teacher shortage in all 50 states. Right. There's a law enforcement shortage as well. How are we going to put an officer on every campus in the state of Texas. Where are they going to come from? Mm -hmm. You know? But the governor can sit back and say that that's what they did, that they, they mandated that. Yeah. You know, and I've said that before to, the, to our legislation is that you guys are good at creating laws, you're not good at developing a process nor funding it. And so, you know, I'm not afraid to say that. I said it, I don't take it back. I'm not apologizing for it. That's the truth. Um, because here's the deal, the, the this individual schools are now stuck holding that bag. Yeah. And, you know, $15,000 per campus, 28 cents additional allocation uh, to kids, it's not enough. It's not enough. I was watching an interview yesterday where school district in North Texas, the, the superintendent said, they don't know where they're going to get the money from. They need an additional $250,000 just to staff that. Right. And that's one district a smaller district you know you've got 283 schools in Houston ISD alone 283 yeah. schools now that requires 283 officers it's just not feasible they don't exist it doesn't exist mm -hmm. so you know it's like everything else it's a it's a good idea but uh, right. that's all it is so well thanks for uh, joining us any uh, last-minute things yeah, we're just going to pray for the best. <laughs> pray for the best. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. All right, thanks.
we were kind of all over the place, but thought it was good. What time is it? Five minutes. Five minutes. Look at that. Perfect. Good deal, man. Yeah. Woo.